Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege it is to be able to look at your word and what it says to us today. Even though we know it was written so many years ago, Lord, we know that your word is timeless, that it still has application for us because you are a God who is timeless. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to understand what your word says so that we can indeed be more like your son, Jesus Christ, as a result. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Hosea, and we've come to chapter 12, and Hosea is uh, a record of a prophet's prophecies. So the prophet is Hosea himself, and he has regularly been looking at the sins of Israel and how God is going to bring judgment upon Israel because of their sin. And we've looked at some of the sins that have come previously in Hosea's prophecies. And today in chapter 11, uh, from verse 12 into chapter 12, it's a bit of an odd reading today. You can see in your Bibles there uh, that uh, there's a heading at the beginning of chapter 11, verse 12, that then uh, leads on into chapter 12. And that's basically an indication that, yes, the, the divisions here in the English Bible are not the best, that they've actually broken up one of the prophecies by putting chapter 12 uh, in the middle of one of those prophecies. But from chapter 11, verse 12, through into chapter 12, there is a focus on one sin in particular. What is that sin? Well, it's the sin of Lying It's the sin of deceit. The breaking of the ninth commandment that Moses gave to God's people is that we are not to bear false testimony, that we're meant to be people of the truth, and that included the people of Israel. The people of Israel were meant to be people who spoke the truth, didn't speak lies, didn't speak with deceit, but spoke the truth. But the people of Israel had not been doing that. And that is why Hosea has this prophecy in chapter 11 and chapter 12, where he says to them, he rebukes the people of Israel for their lies. We read in verse 12, verse 12 of chapter 11, page 897. I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible, have it open before you. Page 897, chapter 11, verse 12, God says, Ephraim... That's a, a name for Israel, basically. That's one of the tribes, but uh, it's often used interchangeably for Israel. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies. That They have surrounded God with lies, the house of Ju- Israel with deceit. And Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies what? He multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. Right there at the front of this prophecy, and Hosea isn't one prophecy given in one go by Hosea. It's a collection of different prophecies. At the front of this prophecy here, Hosea's problem with Israel, God's problem with Israel, is very clearly that they are people who are liars, that they have surrounded God with lies, They have surrounded him with deceit and they have multiplied the lies again and again along with violence. And then in chapter 12, verse 7, the merchants of Israel are singled out as liars as well. Verse 7, it says, The merchant uses dishonest scales. He loves to defraud. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. In verse 7 and 8, we see that God has a particular eye on the 
merchants, the tradesmen, those who sell things in Israel for using dishonest scales. So basically, when they weigh things as you're buying them, their scales aren't quite right. So you think that you're getting a kilo when actually you're getting about 800 grams because their scales are not right. They're defrauding people and they're proud of the money that they're making from such deceit. In verse 8 it says, Ephraim boasts, I am very rich, I have become wealthy. With all my wealth they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. They use deceit to profit and then think because of all the profits that are rolling in that they are without sin, that no one will catch them out. And in this chapter also, Jacob himself one of their ancestors, the man called Israel himself, who, from whom they derive their name, who they look back to as their great ancestor, he is actually brought into chapter 12 as well. He is mentioned as deceit is being spoken of and lies are being spoken of. The Lord speaks of Jacob himself. Verse 2, it says, The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name of renown. The Israelites look back at Jacob as their great ancestor, the one whom they derive their heritage from. The blessings of God come through Jacob. And Jacob is mentioned here in this passage. And I'm not sure whether it's mentioned just to be positive or whether it's mentioned, he is mentioned to be negative uh, but, or whether it's about him both being deceitful but also positive in the same uh, passage here today. I think that there is, of course, a consciousness in the people of God as Jacob is held up along with a charge of deceit that Jacob, their ancestor, was a deceitful man as well. That in one sense they're following the footsteps of their ancestor when they lie, when they are deceitful. Because Jacob is singled out in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis as one who is quite deceitful. One who was deceitful to his own family. His name itself means one who trips others up or is a deceiver. You see that in verse 2 where it says, He will punish Jacob. And then in our NIV translation there's a little letter B next to the word Jacob which means there's something interesting for you to read in the margins. And if you follow down into the margin of your translation there, it says, Jacob, that's the name, means he grasps the heel, figuratively he deceives. What does Jacob mean? It means that he's someone who trips you up, like in a schoolyard, as you're walking past, someone sticks their foot out, but he does it with a hand. He pulls your feet out from underneath you. He's one who deceives you. And that is what Jacob did. In the Old Testament, we understand that he deceived his family in a big way. I think it would be helpful for us to be reminded of what he did here this morning. Look with me at Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27, page 25 of the Church Bibles, page 25. So Jacob is a twin. Uh, he has a brother, Esau, and Jacob is not the one, the firstborn, he does not inherit 
the usual rights that are passed on to the firstborn because he is, of course, the secondborn. Even though he was a twin, he came out second, and so he is not the firstborn. His brother Esau is supposed to inherit the blessings. And we read that his father was old in chapter 27, verse 1, and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. And so he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he, that's Esau, answered. So we're on page 25 of the Black Church Bibles. Verse 2 of chapter 27, Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So Isaac the father is ready to pass on the blessing, the promises of God that have been granted to him from his father Abraham. He's ready to pass them on to his eldest born son, Esau. And his son has to go out and get some food and bring it back and he will give him the blessing. But what happens? Verse 5. Now Rebekah, that's Isaac's wife, was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, that's the other man, the one that we're concerned about most of all, she said, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them, that's the goats, and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and smoothed part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And then it goes on, and of course he gets the blessing from Isaac, even though it was intended for Esau. He pretended to be his brother Esau. He was deceitful. He was a liar here. And he did receive the blessings of God, but he also received pain as a result of his deceit as well. If we go back to chapter uh, 12 of Hosea, that's page 897. Hopefully you kept a finger there, otherwise you have to look it up again. Page 897, Hosea chapter 12. Jacob is brought in in verse 2 and 3 and 4, and he's also then again mentioned in verse 12 of chapter 12. Jacob is mentioned in verse 12 of chapter 12. What does it say there? Jacob fled to the country of Aram. Israel served to get a wife, and to pay for her, he tended sheep. What did happen to Jacob? Well, he inherited the blessings of God, but he immediately had to flee from his brother Esau. His brother Esau was not happy 
about the way he deceived his father so that he would get the blessing. Had to flee to a foreign country, to the country of Aram. And there he did serve his uncle. He did find some shelter with his uncle, Laban. But he was deceived himself by Laban. So that he had to work 14 years for free for a wife. Uh, He thought it was going to be seven years, but it turned out to be another seven when his uncle deceived him. And so Jacob, the one who trips others up, was tripped up himself and felt the pain of being one who deceives others. And so it is hard to know whether Jacob is brought in here positively or negatively because negatively you know the history of Jacob and you know that Israel itself is getting accused of deceit here. And so when Jacob is brought up, you think, ah, they're showing that they're walking in their father's footsteps. But Jacob also is commended in this passage as well. Did you see that in chapter 12, verse 4? It says, he struggled with the angel and overcame him. Or I should say, start from verse 3. It says in verse 3, in the womb he grasped his brother's heel. So even from early on, it looked like he was going to be hurting his brother. But it says, as a man he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name of renown. Unless you know the history of Jacob, it sounds a bit cryptic there. But basically, Jacob at one point... He wrestled with an angel that was sent to him. Now, some people try and work out who that angel was. I'm not going to go into a debate about that. But he wrestled with God, at least figuratively, if not literally. Some people think it was Jesus Christ he wrestled with. Uh, But he wrestled with God and he begged a blessing of God. And God did speak to Jacob. He was one who found him at Bethel when he was fleeing away from his brother. God did speak to him and spoke of the blessings that Jacob would inherit. So Jacob wrestled with his brother deceitfully, but he also wrestled with God. He was someone who loved God, who believed in the promises of God, at least more so than Esau, because he really, really wanted them. He sought after the covenant blessings of God, which is not what Israel is doing as you look at the book of Hosea. Again and again we see that Israel is despising the covenant blessings of God rather than struggling with God and seeking his blessing. So here we see in Hosea that the Israelites are people of deceit, that they are liars and cheats, and they're not interested in the covenant blessings of God as their father Jacob was. In one sense, they're walking in the footsteps of their father Jacob in being deceivers, but in another sense... They're not walking in the footsteps of their father Jacob, who struggled with God, who talked with God, who was interested in what God had to say. And as Christians, we are part of the people of God, and we can take application of these truths here in Hosea to ourselves as well. Because we are meant to be people who are inheriting the same promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob many centuries ago. And yet when we see Jacob and his life, when we see the Israelites and their lives, we recognise that our lives are not that different often. That we are people who lie all too easily as well. It's so easy when you're speaking for a lie just to slip out. You don't even have to think about it. It's like it's on autopilot sometimes. If someone asks you a question and the answer is yes, you just say no without even thinking. 
We see this so often in our lives. Like the merchants of Israel in verse 7 of chapter 12, that they use dishonest scales and love to defraud, we see in our business transactions that we lie and cheat as well. When it comes to the workplace, you may not be in sales as the merchants there were in verse 7 and 8 of Israel, but in your workplace, you're in business. You're trading something. You're trading your time and your effort. And lies sneak into the workplace all too easily. It can be about big things. You can lie to your boss about major issues. But even minor things that just seem to be acceptable lies in our workplaces here in Australia. I still remember when I was going away to the snow with some friends from uni, and a lot of us had part-time jobs, but we were able to get away in the weekend. We were able to take a bus. We got about 15 of us or so in a bus together. It was more economical that way. And we're in this bus and we're travelling early. We left on like a Thursday or Friday and one of the people in the bus had to go to work. And we left very early in the morning, but uh, she wasn't going to work. She was off to the snow. And so at about 8 o'clock in the morning, everybody in the bus was told to be quiet while one friend rang up the other friend's workplace, pretended to be that other friend's mother, so it was a girl ringing up on behalf of another girl, pretended to be a mother and said, ah, yes, Joy is really unwell today. She cannot make it into work. And so all of us were on the bus being absolutely quiet. So it seemed like, yes, this was mother, ringing up on behalf of the other friend so that she could go to the snow and still get paid because she was technically sick. She wasn't sick at all. She was off for a good time. It was deceit in the workplace, a lie being told. And we... I saw a newspaper article a few years ago saying that, yes, Australians are known to be the kings of sickies, that we tuck a sickie without even caring. We just pretend that we're sick so we can have a day off. We lie in the workplace all too easily. And we even lie as we go about our business through the day to merchants themselves. As we go to the shops, it's all too easy to lie in our workplace, but also to lie to those that we're the customers of. So in one sense, we're client, uh, we're, the, we're, the, uh, we're not the clients, we're the, the tradesmen themselves when we're in the workplace, but then when people interact with us, they're the clients, and sometimes we're the clients as we go about our business, as we pay people to serve us. And how easy is it to be dishonest when you're at the shops? I was seeing this just recently as we were, uh, we've been going to McDonald's a fair bit as a family recently because McDonald's Monopoly is on and our kids love that. The, I mean, the Monopoly scheme is a great marketing tool for at least our family. We eat more McDonald's this time of year than any other part of the year. Uh, and so we go regularly to McDonald's because you win prizes as you get these little stickers off your food. And the kids love it. You scan it into your phone and you're collecting these different tickets. And one of the things that attracts me to it, at least, is that there is a fair bit of free food. You never win the car. You never win the, the trip overseas. You never win the $10,000 cash. But you do win cheeseburgers, Big Macs, small fries, sundaes, all kinds of food. I think the statistic is it's meant to be one in five wins. And so you scan in these, uh, you, you get these chance cards that you get, and you get a, you can ha- it comes up on your phone that you've won a Big Mac. And we've won a couple of Big Macs in our time now, this, this month. And, uh, and you go to the, the store then, and you get the, sh- uh, the, the girl at the register who's usually 15, 16 years of age, and she looks at your phone and says, you've got a free Big Mac, and she says, okay, and she taps it once to clear that, yes, you've received your Big Mac. And so you get your Big Mac and you go away and you eat it. 
But the thing is, I don't know why they've set it up this way. Basically, the girl's meant to press the button like three times. There's like, do you really want to redeem? Are you redeeming it now? And okay, you've redeemed it. And every time I've tried to redeem one of these things, the girl only presses it once. And I walk away with this phone that still has a Big Big Mac enabled on it. And so, technically speaking, I've shown the kids, we could go back and get another one. And we could go back and get another one. And we could go back and get another one if this girl keeps on not clicking through as she should. But what do I do? I click the extra two times and cancel out the free Big Mac. Because I know it's lying. I've received the Big Mac. And it would be dishonest of me, even though I think McDonald's is a huge corporation, what does it matter if they give me a few extra Big Macs? But it would be deceitful. It'd be a lie. But it's so easy in my head to think, ooh, free food. And to continue on, I can save a couple of dollars here. Again and again and again and again, potentially. But it's lying. It's deceit. I'm being like those merchants in verse 7 of chapter 12. The merchant uses dishonest scales he loves to defraud. I'm defrauding McDonald's out of a few Big Macs. But it's so easy to do. And we don't just deceive as the merchants do here. We deceive with our families as well. It's not like we just deceive McDonald's or our boss at work who we don't particularly like. We deceive those that we love. As Jacob deceived his, his, brother Isaac, uh, his brother Esau and his father Isaac, we deceive our family all too easily as well. I remember lies that I've told my parents. I remember one of my first lies that I can actually remember that I told my parents was about a broken toy. This toy was broken. I knew that I'd broken it, but I'd tucked it down the back of the sofa so that no one would find it. Must have been five or six, uh, no, no older than that because of where we were living at the time. Tucked it down the back of the couch. My parents found it, brought it out, said, this is not right. Who broke this toy? No one owned up. And, and we all said, no, no, it wasn't me. I knew it was me. My parents said, this is really bad. If no one owns up, you'll all be punished. I thought about it. Probably if I own up, the punishment would be worse than if it's divided over three. So I kept it to myself. And for years, I bore the burden of that lie. It was only about 10 years later, when I was 16, 17, that I actually brought it up with my parents and confessed then and there that I was the one that broke that toy and my sisters were punished, my two older sisters were punished because of something that I did. And I can remember other lies that I told my parents and I'm sure you can remember lies you told your parents, things that you may not have even confessed to this day to your parents. Or there may be things that you did confess decades later when you knew that the pain was, was gone, that the punishment would no longer be there. So lying's not just a problem for Israel. Deceit and defraud, they're not just problems for Israel. They're for the people of God today as well. It's still a problem for us. But why do we lie? Why do we find lies slipping out so easily? Why does it come up in our brain that we want to deceive McDonald's? Why does it come up that we want to deceive our boss at work or the work colleagues? Why do we do it? Well, verse 6 gives us a few ideas. Verse 6 of Hosea chapter 12. Look with me there now. Hosea chapter 6, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 6. Verse 6 says, But you must return to your God. 
Maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. Why do we lie? Because we haven't returned to our God. We haven't repented of our sin. We don't see lies as a problem. And we aren't interested in maintaining love and justice, as it says there in verse 6. We don't like justice. We'd rather defraud. We don't like loving our boss at work. We'd rather take what we can get from him. We don't love McDonald's. We love their food, but we don't love McDonald's as a corporation, and so we'd rather defraud them. We don't love our parents or our brothers and sisters when we defraud them, when we deceive them. We don't maintain love and justice. And then I think the last idea there in verse 6 is most pertinent to why we lie. We don't wait for our God always. We're not interested in waiting on God always. We may wait on him some of the time, but not always. See, lying is about getting what you want more quickly. The liar lies to gain what is not rightfully his. Or the liar lies to avoid pain. You have a fear of man and you want to avoid the pain that he may bring or get to the pain-free state more quickly. So when you're accused of lying or you've done something wrong, you know that you could get punished. So you lie, you deceive. And when you lie, you often want something more quickly as well. So on one level, you're wanting something that's not rightfully yours. On another level, you're trying to avoid something that is rightfully yours, punishment and pain. And so instead of doing right and waiting for God's blessing, you actually want to speed up the blessings of God. You want them faster. You want them now. And that's why we lie, which shows a dependence upon the blessings rather than the God who gives the blessings. We're more interested in the money that we save through lives, lies protecting us than God protecting us. We're more interested in the protection that people will give us than God's protection. That's why we lie often to our family. We want our family to love and support us in a way that they wouldn't if we didn't lie to them. And so instead of looking for God's protection by telling the truth, we lie. So why is this struggle with God so bad? Why do we struggle with God in lies? Why don't we wait on him more often? Why is lying a problem? Because there is pain associated with lies. Jacob learnt the pain of defraud. He had to flee from his country. I'm not sure he ever got to see his mother again, his mother who loved him so much so that he would defraud his brother and his father, there is pain. See, the thing is, the liar likes to take shortcuts. He wants the thing, something so badly that he lies to get it, or he wants to avoid the pain, so he lies to avoid it. And the liar is taking that shortcut without thinking of the long-term consequences of his lie. Jacob wasn't thinking about the long-term consequences of his lie in one respect. Yes, he did get the promises of God. He did acquire much by his deception. But he did acquire pain as well. And we don't often see that. That if we lie today, there will be pain, maybe tomorrow or in a few years' time. One way we can see how pain comes pretty quickly uh, when we lie is when we lie in board games. It's so easy 
to, to lie when you're playing a game with someone while they're looking in another direction, you can do things. At the moment in our house, we're playing, we like playing Monopoly. We've got a kid's version that's much faster than the adult version, so we can do it in one sitting, and it's a lot of fun. It's all too easy to steal a bit of money out of the bank while another child isn't looking. It's all too easy to nudge a few of your little counters onto the board and say you've got property that you never actually earned, you never paid for. It's all too easy to do that. But what happens if you're deceitful like that? Why, why are you doing it, first of all? The reason you're doing it is because you want to win the game. And you want to win it quickly. You want the victory now, and so you lie. But what's the problem with it? Well, if someone catches you sneaking dollars out of the bank, what do they do? They don't want to play with you anymore. The game is over. No one's a winner. In fact, if anyone's a winner, it's the other person. You're the loser who was cheating others. And so pain comes as a result of cheating at a board game. And it's the same with the rest of life. Shortcuts usually turn out to be long cuts when it comes to deception, when it comes to lies. God punishes you directly sometimes for your lies. You can lose your job if you tell lies at work. If you claim to be sick and you're not, your boss may not take that very lightly if he sees on Facebook that you're at the snow when you're meant to be sick. You could lose your job over that. And so that shortcut turns out to be a long cut and you're back out looking for work. Or God can punish you indirectly. You can save $2 at McDonald's. A Big Mac costs a bit more than that. You can save a couple of dollars. But on the way home from you saving a couple of dollars, you have a car accident that costs you quite a lot of money. It can happen. God can bring long-term pain and that short-term gain that you got through a lie is all up in smoke. And the worst thing that can come from deception, from defraud, from lies is that... God may punish you where he takes away everything from you. What happens when you cheat in Monopoly? Well, you can get kicked off the board altogether. And that's what happens sometimes when someone works out that someone's been cheating in a board game at our house, they pick up the board and shake it. And lots of pain comes into everybody's life then because no one knows wherever. If we kick that one person, if there's four of us playing, one person could be uh, out. But if someone shakes the board, well, it's all over. Everybody's off the board, including you. And God can shake the board of life all too easily and cause pain for you and shake you off the board altogether. That's what he's threatening the Israelites here, is he's threatened again and again that he's going to bring swords into their, into their cities. He's going to end their lives because of their lies. God can shake you off the board altogether if you continue in a life of deceit in a life of defrauding others, in a life of lies. So you've got a choice. Do I seek quick gain in this life by deceit? Or do I do what verse 6 tells me to do? To wait for my God always. To tell the truth and wait for his blessing to come in his timing. That thing that I want so badly that I will lie to get it, I choose to tell the truth and wait to see if God will give it to me 
in his timing, when he wants to. See, often we will suffer for telling the truth. But that is what we need to do. We need to wait on the Lord and he will reward us one day. It may not be immediately. It may not be for a few years. It may not even be in this life. It may be in the next life that you're rewarded for telling the truth. But you are called to wait on God always. But who likes waiting? It's very difficult to do. It's very hard to be patient. When you want something now, that's why the lie springs out so quickly. You want it now. How do we be patient? How do we wait on God always? Well, it's by being content in Jesus Christ. By going to him about all the lies that you've said in the past and asking for forgiveness for them, all the times you defrauded others, all the times you've been deceiving towards even your own family, asking for forgiveness, and then knowing the joy of that forgiveness, knowing the joy of his love, knowing the joys that will come in the glories that follow the judgment. If you meditate upon the joys you have in Christ, then you can tell the truth and wait for God to act. We don't like waiting. But if we have something to distract us while we wait... It's a bit easier. Like when you wait in a queue at the shops or something. If you've got your phone there and you can read a book, although I'm not sure everybody's reading books like I am when I'm on my phone, but if you've got your phone there and you've got something to do to distract you, something interesting, something joyful, then it's easy to wait. And that's how we are to be as a people of God. We're not to be liars. We're meant to be truth-tellers. And we wait on the Lord. And while we wait, we do have something to keep our minds occupied. So that the waiting's a bit easier. And what is that? It's the joys of Jesus Christ. You may suffer for telling the truth in this world, but there is joy in Christ that can help you to wait out that suffering. And so I encourage you to meditate more and more upon Jesus Christ, and you will find that the lies in your life become less and less, and you become more interested in the truth than what you can get through lying. Let us come before God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, it is such marvellous news to us this morning that we don't need to lie to get the greatest security, to get the greatest blessings in this world, that you give them to those who speak the truth. Maybe not in this life, but definitely in the life to come. We will be honoured for being truth-tellers. So, Lord, we pray that you would set a guard over our mouths so that we are people of the truth so that we do not tell lies, we do not deceive, we do not defraud others, but we love to tell what is true and good, despite the suffering that it may bring. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for all the times we have deceived. Lord, put our sin of lies and deception upon Jesus Christ at the cross once more. Forgive us, cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, including our repetitive breaking of the ninth commandment. And Lord, we pray that that forgiveness that we know through Jesus Christ may give us joy so that we can indeed tell the truth without fear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.